0: To another episode of Genesis. Today we'll be embarking on chapters 18 to 19. My name is Jonathan Chan. I'm just so glad that you are staying with us through this long journey on Genesis. But before we begin, let's start off with a video clip. Sit back, relax, take a look at the video clip, and we'll be right back. If you are hungry, go up and look around, me. Why do you wait and mope? Well, I've just lost my family. All my friends. Probably forever. Uh, how do you know? Well, I... You are an illustration. Why am I talking to you? Oh, you just lost your family. All your friends. You are lonely. <laughs> yeah, well... You're dead. Ah, but that is no match for wishful thinking. If you focus on what you've left behind, you will never be able to see what lies ahead. Now go up and look around. If you focus on what you have left behind, you will never be able to see what lies ahead. As we near the end of 2020, the year, and approach the dawning of 2021, it's difficult to accept that life really will never be the same. 2020 will always be remembered as the year of COVID-19, when normal life was flipped inside out and upside down and, frankly, sideways. Plans and dreams were squashed, some of the usual routines died hard, and many of us, including churches, businesses and ministries, were forced to evolve. And if they didn't, they would die. Now, thankfully, uh, today is what, December the 4th? News says that a vaccine is coming, or it might have came, as this is a pre-recording, as you know. So it got me thinking, in the eve of the vaccine, Sure, here are my thoughts. Sure, COVID-19 rained down chaos on our normal routines. Plans and dreams pretty much went pfft. But it also woke us up, didn't it? In fact, COVID-19 made us aware of many of the challenges our communities face every day. Because quite frankly, COVID-19 exasperated them challenges such as poverty mental health food security public safety homelessness domestic violence and racism to name a few it's like COVID-19 was our God-given version of Babel where it forced us out of our comfort zone to see what's really happening around us and because of these revelations We saw God-given opportunities to practically show the life-giving message of the gospel. We meaning the church, our church, Crucible Church. For us as a church, we launched, along with Company of Disciples, the Meals for Kids program. However, with the vaccine in the horizon, I wonder if we would be tempted to go back to our routines. Original dreams, original plans and forget about the opportunities that were all along in front of us, even before COVID-19. That because we were so attached, so invested in our pre-COVID routines, pre-COVID life, pre-COVID plans and dreams, that we would rather invest our time and efforts on retrieving what was left behind than see the God-given opportunities that lie in front of us. COVID-19 forced us to see these opportunities that were always there, right? They were always there even before COVID-19. Would we be tempted to go back to what was left behind, trying to pick up all the pieces? Or would we just forget about what was left behind, move forward, and grab hold of the opportunities that are in front of us? Today, we will be exploring Genesis chapters 18 and 19. Two stories of two individuals, Abraham and Lot. Both stories were similar, but the biggest difference between them was that Abraham looked forward to what lay ahead, while Lot looked back to what was left behind. And because Lot did that, there were many consequences. Let's begin. Both Abraham's story and Lot's story, in chapter 18 and 19, started in the similar fashion. Chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord. If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick! Three sails of fine flour. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, let's blast over to chapter 19 of Lot's story. Chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servants' house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Both Abraham and Lot showed hospitality toward their visitors the key differences are as follows first abraham was visited by the lord and the two angels there were three while lot was visited by two angels well the lord was with abraham while the two angels went down to sodom informing lot of the imminent doom so we kind of know why there were only two individuals two angels that met with lot Second difference, Abraham was running and was quick in meeting and serving his visitors, while Lot did what anyone would have done. There was no emphasis of Lot running or being quick in serving the visitors, which is probably significant that after spending so much time in Sodom, he was comfortable and settled down. He seemed like a guy that just... Figured it's comfortable and settled down. He didn't really see the importance of the two angels in front of him. So unlike Abraham, who had the God-given vision to pursue, to chase after, Lot doesn't want to pursue it with any passion. Okay, Third difference. Lot was sitting at the city gate, which meant that he held a political position, just like Boaz in the story of Ruth. And had some form of social position in Sodom i.e. he was doing well and was very successful while Abraham was not in a city but at the front door of his tent. This is significant because the author is telling us that the reader that Lot has really invested his time, effort, and life into not just urban living in Sodom but into the matters and social mores of the city. He got some influence. He got a position of power. He was successful. In fact, later on, we know that he married someone in Sodom, and his daughters were engaged to men in Sodom. Lastly, the last difference. Abraham's territory, his home, was free from evil. There was no danger or violence or threats, and hence the the visitors were safe in his home. For Lot, the visitors visitors were not safe. They wanted to... To spend the night in the square. But knowing that Sodom was evil and dangerous, Lot urged them to stay at his home. Similar stories, right? But quite a few differences. One story, Abraham's story, is aligned with God and has a home that was f- safe and free from evil. While the other home, Lot's home, was not aligned with God, but aligned with selfish interests, not safe, and very evil. So we have a setting for the two stories. So let's move on. Verse 9. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. All right. Sarah laughed when God said she will bear a child in her old age, well past, she thinks, of her fertile age. She thought God was joking, but God rebuked her, asking her a rhetorical question, quote, is anything too hard for the Lord, End quote. Sarah knew that God made a covenant with Abraham, saying that a nation of many peoples will come through them. But unfortunately, they were unable to conceive for a very long time. If you recall, Sarah took the matter into her own hands and had Abraham marry Hagar, and Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, was not to be the one God will use to fulfill the covenant. So what did Sarah hold on to that, was sh- that she was not willing to let go and trust God, but rather laughed in doubt? It was her own way of doing things. Her own plans. She, like many of us, had a mental schedule in her head, a biological clock, saying that if I reach this age without a child, it's pretty much game over. She had a schedule. She had plans. She had plans for the child's future, probably. But it never came. The child never came yet. And now, she was well past her age. Now, do we have plans that may hinder our trust in God as well, just like Sarah? Do we have particular formulas or way of doing things or the way things have to work out? Giving constraints and conditions that God needs to work in, i.e. putting God in a box. God doesn't operate within our box, nor does he operate within our formulas or how we understand how things should work out. He is God, and he does things his way. One thing for certain, though, he may not be fulfilling his vision for us on our terms. He will fulfill his global vision and his vision for us as long as we remain faithful to him. Let's go to the next passage, verse 16. Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. God's justice is for the purpose of removing any barriers and obstacles that prevent his global vision to come into fruition. Notice in the tail end of the passage we just read, that Abraham's children and descendants were to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Then immediately after, he declared judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. God's reason for his judgment is that Sodom and Gomorrah will compromise Abraham's descendants from keeping the way of the Lord because Sodom and Gomorrah were deeply and gravely evil. Another reminder to us, right? that God's global vision will come into fruition, and that as long as we remain faithful to Him, our God-given vision will come into fruition as well. However, if we see barriers, obstacles, or temptations that keep us from remaining faithful, we have to faithfully pray that God, with His justice, remove them from our lives. Let's move on to verse 23. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But this once, suppose ten are found there, he answered. For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Question. Let's see what Abraham would do. Will he continue to keep his covenant by blessing humanity through grace and mercy? Or will he give up on Lot because of all that Lot has done in the past, especially how he treated Abraham? That's the question the author wants us to ask ourselves when we read this passage. If you recall, Abraham freed Lot from captivity when Sodom was captured. You would think that Lot would have learned his lesson, right? Be grateful for his uncle's intervention and not go back to Sodom. Nope. Sodom offered things that he desired and again rejected his uncle and be part of his uncle's God-given vision. Instead, he just went back to Sodom. But Abraham, knowing that Lot was still in the city, still held hope that somewhere in Lot's heart there was an inkling of righteousness and faithfulness in God. What Abraham was doing was not about challenging God, but more of imitating what God would have done. Remember the stories of Adam and Eve, Cain and Noah? We learned that God truly desires to have humanity and creation be in his presence. He truly, truly desires to love them and bless them, and like Noah, if he can find just an inkling of faithfulness and righteousness among a heap of crap, that was enough to keep his side of the covenant and not hold any of the sins against them. Abraham did the same. He had hope that Lot still had an inkling of righteousness in his heart, and that hope was enough for Abraham to not hold on to things of the past. That hope that Lot had an inkling of righteousness in his heart was enough for Abraham to not hold on to things of the past. This is a good lesson for all of us at this juncture. How do we lose sight of what God has in store for us? How do we lose sight of not looking ahead but keep focusing on what was left behind? It is when we hold on to grudges, regrets, And anger towards those who wronged us. Let's move on. Verse 5 in chapter 19. Now it's Lot's story. They shouted to Lot, We're the men who came to spend the night with you. Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. Now, these are the men, the young and old men of Sodom who's talking. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and are under my protection. But the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house, so they gave up trying to get inside. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot, Do you have any other relatives here in the city? They asked, Get them out of this place, your sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy the city completely. The outcry against this place is so great it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughters, Fiance's, Quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. I don't really need to go into detail here. The author tells us that all men, young and old, were evil at Sodom. They heard about Lot's visitors and were determined to rape them. Evil beyond imagination. Now, Lot was faced with a difficult choice here. He knew that he needed to protect the angels, while at the same time he needed to protect his daughters. And out of desperation, he offered his daughters who were engaged to the mob. Oh, wait, sorry, I said it wrong. He offered his daughters, who were engaged, to the mob. Lot definitely screwed himself over when he abandoned Abraham and God's covenant. What's even more interesting is that because he stayed in Sodom for so long, even his daughter's fiances did didn't respect his God and thought he was joking. It's interesting how much of Lot's faith in God has been so reduced That it's completely unnoticeable among his family. Again, holding on to things we desire and so desperate of not losing them, while losing sight of what we need to focus before us, jeopardizes our God given vision to be a blessing to those around us. Just look at Lot. The further consequences that Lot experienced, we can also learn from as well. The consequences is that we lose our moral compass and become the people around us as opposed to a light for Jesus. Let's move on to verse 18. And Lot said to them, O oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city. And what grew on the ground? But Lot's wife behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. It's interesting that Lot just can't give up what the city offered. When the angels told him to flee to the mountains where Abraham was, where did Lot prefer? To hold on to the things that he desired that only the city offered. Still holding on, adamant of not losing what he desires most that the cities can only offer and willing to give up on God's covenant in the process. We also know that because he was at Sodom for quite some time, he also had a wife who was from Sodom because she looked back and by doing so, she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, there are a few explanations on how she turned into a pillar of salt. And you know what? I'm not going to go into it but I do recommend reading Bruce Waltke's commentary on Genesis to provide a few explanations for you. But the overall principle we are taught here by the author was that Lot paid the price for rejecting God's covenant. Here in this whole entire chapter, he looked like a complete, utter failure. Instead, he went on his way and tried to keep what he wanted rather than obeying God. That's how he ended up. A complete, utter failure. Let's move on to verse 30. Afterward, Lot left Zoar because he was afraid of the people there. What? You just said that you wanted to go to Zoar, not the mountains, rejecting God's covenant, and now you escape from Zoar because you made a boo-boo. And he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. Abraham is nowhere to be seen then. One day, the older daughter said to her sister, there are no men left anywhere in this entire area, so we can't get married. Now, here's the key. Like everyone else. And our father will soon be too old to have children. Come, let's get him drunk with wine, and then we will have sex with him. That way, we will preserve our family line through our father. Like everyone else. See." Why do we hold on to things? Why do we focus our attention on what was left behind? Why do Christians justify their moral compromises just to keep living the way they do and keep the stuff they have? Why do we not want to look ahead and pursue our God-given vision and take advantage of the opportunities that God has laid before us, but would rather settle and just try to pick up the pieces that was left behind? it's because we want to be like everyone else. Plain and simple. We compare ourselves with others and try to keep up with the Joneses. We allow everyone else to dictate what normal life should be, and then we become so convicted to the point of being a little bit culty to ensure that our normal life stays intact without realizing that by doing so, we lose sight of our God-given vision. And worse, like Lot, We lose our moral compass. We lose our faith in God. And we lose our role as a blessing to our communities. Lot's choices of rejecting God's covenant permeated throughout his entire family. His daughters, his wife, then to a point where his daughters found no issue with having sex with their father because, like their father, they wanted to be like everyone else. See, folks, let's keep our eyes forward. Yes, there is a vaccine coming soon. However, it is very tempting to lose sight of what God has already shown us through this year. He's shown us many opportunities, well, first of all, challenges that existed in our communities, but many opportunities to address these challenges and be a blessing to our communities. Let us not forget and neglect those opportunities. When the vaccine comes, praise God. We can meet together again. We can see each other again. We can kind of get back to some regular routine. However, it is very tempting to lose sight of our God-given vision of all the things that he has already shown us during COVID. And so, let us remind ourselves that ultimately, God is our reward, not the things that everyone else has. Let me close with a verse in Philippians And this is Paul telling us, reminding us to do the same. He goes like this in verse 13 Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Sure, in light of uh, the vaccine, in light of what happened throughout this whole entire year, let's you and I press on toward the goal. To take advantage of every God given opportunity to be a blessing to our communities because we are called heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen.